Darling, if you'll just open the door, I'm sure I could... Julie! Open this door! Lady's door. I'm scandalized at you. Well, did you come up here just to stand there? Julie, how long must we go on like this? Like what? Fighting, fussing all the time, like a couple of children. Why do you treat me like a child? Because you act like one, a spoiled one. You used to say you liked me like that once. You never wanted me to change. Remember? in a lady's bedroom. Now you'll have to marry me. What do you figure I aim to do? Then kiss me again. Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 266. And I'm your host, Lee. I like my convictions undiluted, <laughs> same as I do my bourbon, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-hostess with the most is Lee. No right to tell me what I could ride and what I couldn't, Hardy. How you doing, ma'am? Ain't that the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about horses. <laughs> mm-hmm. The movie wasn't either. <laughs> You could only say so much back then. You had to had to heap some metaphors on there, some symbolism, some uh, yeah, you know. Got to let the imagination run wild. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we're doing one we've talked about doing now for quite a while, <clears throat> and uh, that's going to be uh, Jezebel from 1938, which uh, is a historically significant film too. When it when it comes to one Betty Davis, and uh, well, we'll have a lot to say. We might even have more to say about uh, the people behind this movie than we actually do the movie when we get into the talk. We'll see. <laughs> there's, there's quite a bit going on in this one. And Lee's sitting by a big tray of jello shots. So, Cheers. and she's got another drink going as well. So her liver might give out during the recording, but no. At least we'll I don't tr- have the yellow fever. 
Yeah, I mean, yellow fever is fake news as established uh-huh. in this film. Yeah. yeah. I just don't let cold. Don't let the government try to get you uh, vaccinated for yellow fever. That's um... it's a common cold, Lee. Mm-hmm. No course. one dies from it. There's just a couple people got sick. You know, it's not like they're you know isolating and and burning people to death who who contract the fever. You know, or, or put them in camps and let them die. It's not like that happened historically. It actually, it did. But yeah, we're like I said, we're going to talk with Jezebel. But uh, before we get into that, and this is going to be our last stop on uh, non horror stuff for a while. Uh, we, we are we're, we're, we're you know we're going to be jumping into horror here in, in October. We're actually recording tomorrow night with Court Psyops, and that'll probably be our first uh, October episode. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking so. Uh, uh, I spit. Oh, check that out. Yeah. 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 I spit on your grave and the remake is what we're going to be doing. So, but yeah, uh, we can talk about what we've watched lately and uh, I'll throw over to you first there. Lady Lee, (laughs) if you're done chewing on your food. I am. Okay. So I just discovered that um, prime has the old uh, episodes of unsolved mysteries. Oh yeah. So I've been watching those. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, you might get a a kick out of that. Um, Okay, uh, I know that they're ancient year old now. I didn't realize how old this, ep- these, this series was. Mm-hmm. But uh, still really fucking interesting, even like 30 years later. Oh, yeah. Like, they're still just as interesting, even though some of them are really sad. Some of them um kind of crazy. Uh, I was looking into some of them. Not episodes I've seen, but like ones where they've recently uh, caught the killers. Like that's which really fucking interesting. Um, but yeah, I just I forgot. I remember thinking the episode was so interesting when I was a kid, and then when I watched it again, I was like, oh, I wonder if I still think this is interesting. Yeah, it's still, it's still interesting. I remember I remember growing up watching those, and like it's kind of a horror adjacent thing, just because like how spooky elements of that was that show, like. You know, Robert Stack would come on and Robert Stack, this old school actor who was, you know, the original Elliot Ness in the Untouchables uh, TV show back in the day. Um, and he's just when on he here. Talked? Yeah. I'm Robert Stack. And this is Unsolved Mysteries. And and he's, he's just so straight faced and dry. And he's he's talking about all these like weird disappearances and murders and stuff like that. And then you got the fucking theme song. Yeah. I should pipe that in here at this point. Uh, I'll make a note of that. Uh, but you know, it's like theme song. But I mean, it, it. Yeah, it's great stuff. And I know there was like a new unsolved mysteries that came yeah. out on Netflix and. Meth- from what I from what I hear it was just like eh. Yeah, that's what I was that's kind of what where I was at. I um I went to rewatch Unsolved Mysteries and I was like, I really didn't like the one on Netflix. So I probably feel the same because this is like literally from I think it started in the eighties. Mm-hmm. From the eighties to the nineties, I think. Yeah. I can't remember. Like late eighties, early nineties. Anyway, I so it, I th- I think it got I think like I think kind of I remember it being on TV forever. Like you would come on like Sundays, yeah. Sunday nights. And then after it, then it got canceled or just ended or whatever. And then all of a sudden it was William Shatner and rescue nine one one. 
it was it was like the new show on Sundays all the time or whatever. It was like <laughs> I I just remember watching it and then it wasn't there anymore. Like it was mm-hmm. something. Different. Okay, so 1987 to 1997. There you go. So yeah, yeah. ten years. Ten. Yeah, ten, that's pretty good for a show like that. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. I I also thought it was cool because. Um, Obviously, I remember the creepiness as a kid. But yeah, sorry. What I was saying earlier, um, I was expecting it to be like the new one. Like for some mm-hmm. reason, I, I I just it's been so long since I watched it that I was kind of expecting to have the same um, kind of opinion because obviously they remade a show. Like, how can you fuck up remaking a show that is just talking about mysteries? Yeah. Um, but they did. The, the, anyway. the, the new show didn't even have a host, did it? I don't even remember. Yeah. I watched like the first episode and I was like, well, this is really fucking boring. Yeah. yeah. I didn't care for it. Um, the old one was kind of cool because it not only took creepy cases, but it took on kind of like heartwarming cases too. Like there was mm-hmm. one where um, the V-mail. So when soldiers wrote love notes or whatever notes to loved ones, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was a bag that was found 40 years later in someone's house and the guy noticed it and said that told the woman that she has to report it. And it turns out that um, whoever was supposed to do it, but forgot to do it. And then he died. And then the woman was too embarrassed to do it. So 40 years later they found it. And I think there was 50, 60 letters that weren't sent. And uh, this was back in the eighties, but uh, all but two were not sent to the, the original sender, sorry, they could not find the, like the person that it was supposed to go to, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty crazy. Cause that's 40 years. Yeah. But uh, some of these were like basically the last communication that they had with a loved one. Yeah. So like 40 years later, they get this letter and the people reading the letter and those reading it were like, it's kind of a beautiful moment. Like to get this last letter, like so many years later. Yeah. So as much as it did like the really creepy stuff, it did do like that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Which I thought yeah. was interesting. Yeah, uh, I got one thing to mention. I watched this sort of little low-budget movie from 1985. It was actually shot in 1979, but it was released in 1985. It was called The Strangeness. Uh, I was just watching it on YouTube. There's a pretty good version of it on YouTube right now. Essentially, it's a, it's a very ambitious student horror film. Uh, like, everyone's amateur. It's a shoestring budget. Like, it, it's set in an old mine, and, and these... Uh, young people go into this mine and they're like there to like search for something. I can't quite remember what the hell like the, the whole thing was, but they're, they're in there anyway. It's some convoluted reason to get them in there. And then they just start getting picked off by this monster in the mine. Now, you know, it's pretty typical setup. It's got kind of slasher vibes because, you know, people are getting picked off one by one in the dark. It's very dark by the way. Uh, it's so low budget that it, they don't have proper lighting. So, the stuff they did shoot oh, in the no. mine, <laughs> both both the stuff they did shoot in the mine and their own constructed sets that they did, which they built with like tin foil and stuff that they painted brown. And like, it, if you look super close, you can kind of tell, but it's so dark that it works most of the time. It's just like, okay, they're in a fucking mine. Um, the cool thing about this movie, it, it, it doesn't hundred percent quite work. Like I just sort of give it a bare recommendation, but the really cool thing about this movie is it's got really awesome stop motion uh, monster effects in it. Oh, that's cool. 
and the monster is either incredibly terrifying or incredibly uh, incredibly funny, depending on your point of view, because it looks like a giant walking vagina with tentacles, basically. It's like its mouth is like straight up a vagina. And and on top of that, you know, it'll take like a person's head, like head first, and like shove it shove their head right into the vagina hole. And <laughs> and like so like you know the effects are pretty good. The gore effects are kind of okay. Could have used more of those scenes, honestly. Because otherwise it's just people walking around in a dark cave talking. And like I said, like the the actors aren't great. The, the writing for their dialogue is terrible, hmm. um, but it, it's, it's still kind of enjoyable. And at the end of the day, and it's not super long. It's like an hour and a half. So you can kind of breeze through it for the most part. But uh, yeah, the strangest 1985, you can find it on YouTube right now if you are so inclined. And uh, yeah, I just that was that's basically it. That's all I've watched. All right. So uh, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to play a podcast promo some music. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about Jezebel, and I don't know about you, Lee, but I think... You can't blame it all on alcohol. You ungodly warlock. Motion Picture Massacre. Fuck you. We talk about exploitation movies, grindhouse movies, fucking cult movies, horror movies, okay? We don't talk about fucking romantic comedies over here. We're not talking about fucking Sandra Bullock or some shit. We're talking about good movies, the kind that people like to watch. Yes! You ungodly warlock. Come long chill and little children's club and go. Okay, Jezebel, 1938. Um, we did have a trailer, but at the last minute, I was like, this trailer sucks. It's mostly just music and no dialogue at all. It's like, okay. and it's like three minutes of it. So I found something better. I found, um, remember when we did Citizen Kane and I played, yeah. I played that like sort of constructed, made up like, hey, let's talk to one of the actors or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. They have one of those for this. So we're going to play that cool. now. Yeah. Hiya, Betty. 
Hello, Eddie. Hold it just a second, please. What can I do for you? I want to get some candid camera shots for a magazine story we're doing on your new picture, Jezebel. All right. You can wait a few minutes. Right now, I've got to go to the projection room. Want to come? Sure thing. Hey, Betty, give me the lowdown. There's been a lot of talk about Jezebel. As a matter of fact, the Hollywood grapevine's been buzzing around for months. Just about the most pretentious production you've ever made. That's true. Warner Brothers gave me everything. Beautiful sets, lovely costumes, an excellent cast, including Henry Fonda and George Brent. Best of all, William Wyler's the director. He's the man that's been responsible for such successes as these three, Godsworth and Dead End. Jezebel, eh? Sounds like a colorful character. Mm-hmm. She's a belle of New Orleans, a very headstrong girl who has no regard for conventions. She can be the meanest girl in the world one minute and the most lovable the next. <laughs> Probably makes plenty of trouble for any man who falls in love with her. I'm afraid she does. Well, that's one picture I'm going to put on my must-see list. Well, I want to see a few scenes right now. Want to come in? Oh, I'd like to. As we were listening to that, I was watching Lee struggle with like a ranch dressing bottle, I think. Is, is it ranch dressing? Caesar dressing. My mistake. I'm sorry. That's okay. And yeah, she's she switched from jello shots. She's just she's just chugging the <laughs> Caesar dressing. Caesar shots now, yeah. Caesar shots. Yeah. Fuck the alcohol. Let's get the fucking fat you, yeah. cholesterol greenness. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so this is directed by William Waller. Weiler. Excuse me. Uh, he did 48 films in his career, uh, among other things. Um, stuff he's known for other than this. Uh, the Westerner from 1940. Detective Story from 51. Ben-Hur uh, from 59. Probably his most famous one. Uh, the Collector, 1965. And Funny Girl from 68. Uh, and, of course, he did plenty of stuff before this film as well. Um, a lot of stuff I'm not familiar with. Some stuff sort of popped out, but um, don't want to get too much in the details we're getting into this period again where it's like when we're doing an older movie like this where it's like so many hey, movies. <laughs> here, here's here's these people you know who came out of the silent era and survived the silent era and have like millions of credits and it's like do i want to spend three hours talking about all their credits or not no the writers here clements ripley adam finkel uh they have tons of credits don't want to get too much into them because the standout here is John Huston, who himself uh, became a famous director. We've covered uh, some of his stuff um, or some adjacent stuff at, at the very least on, on this podcast before. Uh, but uh, he went on to direct The Maltese Falcon, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Key Largo, The Asphalt Jungle, The African Queen, Moulin Rouge, a version of Moulin Rouge. Uh, he did a version of Moby Dick, The Man Who Would Be King, um, and this is based on a play written by Owen Davis. And we also got uh, Robert Buckner and Lois F. Eldeman as well on the writing. So there's tons of writers here. I think I think uh, most of them are just like sprucing up dialogue and stuff like that, like trying to get it to work better for film um, as opposed to on the stage. And, uh, of course, our star here is Betty Davis as Julie Marston. She had uh, 89 films to her credit. Uh, some of the stuff she's known for, The Petrified Forest, Satan Met a Lady, 
Dark Victory, The Private Lives of Essex, of Elizabeth and Essex, The Virgin Queen, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, I'd say that's probably her most famous role uh, these days uh, from 1962, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Dead Ringer, Burnt Offerings, Death on the Nile, and The Watcher in the Woods, all standout stuff. So interesting here, this movie sort of came about after she had a, like a uh, sort of protracted legal battle with Warner Brothers, which she was under contract with at the time. So she was like convinced her career was being damaged by a, like a succession of mediocre films that she was doing before this. So she accepted an, an offer in 36 to appear in some fr- uh, films in Britain, which would have broke her contract with Warner Brothers. And so she breached her contract fled to Canada to avoid legal p- papers being served on her. Uh, but eventually when it, it got to court, uh, she lost um, and returned to Hollywood kind of, kind of in debt without any income. Uh, but they kept, Warner brothers kept her on because uh, the head of Warner brothers, Jack Warner was a notorious bastard who did not like Betty Davis and wanted to set her up to fail and humiliate her. And so basically Betty Davis is like, if I come back, I want to be able to like call my own shots and pick the movies I want to do and have more control over the things I want to do in my movies. And he's like, sure, sure, bitch. Let's see you do it. And let's see you fail spectacularly. And she didn't. Uh, she yeah. did this. She did this film. And this sort of kicked off her most well-regarded uh, period of uh, her career. Uh, for like the next 10 years or so, she just knocked off like classic after classic and became incredibly successful. And it's crazy how much control they had on their actors back in the day. Yeah. Like it's, it's nuts. Yeah. So she, she basically, she basically shoved her boot right up Jack Warner's ass and, and rubbed <laughs> it and, and rubbed it in his face. You know, it's, it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> Um, the visual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and of course, the rest of the, the cast here, we're not going to go too deep into any other uh, careers. Henry Fonda is Preston Dillard. We covered him on Once Upon a Time in the West back in the day. Uh, we got George Brent as Buck Cantrell. Donald Crisp as Dr. Livingston. He was in a movie we covered uh, from 1919, Broken Blossoms, a silent movie. Faye Bainter is Aunt Belle Massey. Margaret Lindsay is Amy Bradford Dillard. Richard Cromwell is Ted Dillard. Henry O'Neill is General Theophilus Bogardus. That's quite the name. Spring Brighton is Miss Kendrick. Joe Little is Jean LaCour. Gordon Oliver is Dick Allen. Janet Shaw is Molly Allen. Teresa Harris Zetti. And Interesting here, Matthew Stymie Beard as Ty Bat. Uh, and he was a famous sort of child actor at the time. He was one of the replacement characters for like one of the iterations of the Our Gang uh, shorts. Uh, shorts about a little little gang of rapscallions who ran the streets and got into adventures and stuff like that. Very, very popular back in the day. <laughs> um, sort of like a different version. I th- were they the little rascals or a different version of the little rascals? I don't quote me on that. I can't remember. I think they're either com- competitors or they were known as the little rascals. I, I don't know. Um, Are you make a mistake on the podcast, Lee? I don't know. I might. Someone might call me out. And, How dare you? Yeah, I know. How dare you uh, fact check yourself before you bring it on to the show? Professionalism. I mean, I, 
I mean, you know, I, I put it out there. I don't really know, so don't quote me on this shit. Um, <laughs> so set, set in antebellum New Orleans during the early 1850s, this film follows Julie Marston through her quest for social redemption on her own terms. Julie is a beautiful, free-spirited, rapacious Southern Belle who is sure of herself and controlling her fiancé, Preston Dillard, a successful young banker. Julie's sensitive but domineering personality. She does not want so much to hurt as to assert her independence, forces a wedge between Preston and herself. To win him back, she plays north against self amid a deadly epidemic of yellow fever, fake news, which claims the surprising victim. <laughs> uh, and that was written by Adam Brodsky on IMDb. And yeah, that's, uh, that's a good little synopsis. I like that one. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming this is the first time you've seen this as well, Lee. Uh, yes, yes. And so, what are your general thoughts? So I was um, I was really excited to watch this one. I guess because mm-hmm. the title intrigued me, like Jezebel, 1938 mm-hmm. movie. I was kind of excited. Yeah. Um, I uh, <laughs> not gonna lie, I got I I got pretty annoyed the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Preston, the fiance. Yeah. The yeah. She's totally in love with him, and she's uh, like this vivacious flirt who just does what she wants and doesn't take any bullshit from anybody, and she's just very strong and independent, and I love her at the beginning. I think she's fucking awesome. And then it gets to the point where she has to wear a dress, and she doesn't want to wear a white dress because she's in, like, white, mm-hmm. which I totally agree with because I can't fucking stand white dresses. And... uh I wish you could see that dress in color, but when they said a red dress, I was like, oh, I'm into it. I love red dresses. It was actually um, um, when the, the dress they used to shoot because it's in black and white. Yeah. They used a bronze colored dress, actually, because uh, that, that comes out better on the screen when you shoot in black and white, apparently. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Either way, I'd still love to see the dress, like the actual dress, because uh, it looked obvious, like black and gray. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh yeah, and then all of a sudden she just goes from being this really confident person to completely backing down. And then he, Preston, um, forces her to just accept what she's done, uh, which is stupid because he's supposed to love her because she's supposed to be this like incredibly independent, strong-willed-minded person who just does her own thing, which really he doesn't. He just loves her because he's beautiful because he still wants to manipulate and control her. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when he was in the room, banging on the door, like, I really hated that. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's supposed to be this, like, romantic thing. Like, even at the end, when they end up together with the yellow fever, or not, he ends up with yellow fever, she ends up going with him. And it's supposed to be, like, this, she's finally with him, and she's finally, like, repenting her sins, essentially. Mm. I have and a different I, take on that, but we'll I'll let you finish. I I don't know. I don't know if it's... I just thought it was... No, I don't even care. I don't even care. I don't like Preston. I don't think she needs Preston. I think she should... Oh, just, I totally uh, agree. Like, fuck him. Go get somebody else. Like, none of the men were eligible. Like, I, I didn't care for any of them. They were all stuck-up, bland idiots. Pieces for the of shit. Most, yeah. The, I yeah, mean, so... Yeah, that's. I think that's why I was so frustrated. Like, I... I I don't even care if there was a way of her stealing the guy back. I don't care what it was at the end. I just don't like that she did that. I would have been like, cool, you're dead, dying. See you later, bud. I'm going to go, like, fuck somebody else now. Or yeah. fuck somebody else. Because this is, like, done in, like, the 18... 
18 something 18 yeah so she's she's the, you know the rebel in this well, it's 1852 i think it is I couldn't remember, um, yeah. yeah so she's she's the rebel in this like southern antebellum society so this is pre-civil war and you know this is kind of like the end of like the height of quote-unquote southern culture where slavery is you know just everyday reality and in this movie by the way it does the same thing a lot of hollywood movies did in like the first half of the 20th century where they tried to whitewash slavery quite a bit like they make it look like so the, much fun yeah the movie acknowledges slavery and i think it to its credit it does a slightly better job than say like gone with the wind or something like that but you know because it doesn't portray the black characters as necessarily like just talking monkeys on the screen like a lot of those films tend to do but at the same time it's still like you know you see like a young black slave child like like happy running up to their to their slave master because they were worried about them and you see like the you see the the host slaves you know like you know incredibly incredibly happy and 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 just having a great old time and and the big bunch of slaves singing with julie at that one point in the movie um which still is kind of like a beautiful scene but at the same time it's just like so wrong (laughs) to, to be portraying things like that um so it it does you know it does the same thing almost all movies did when when they're sort of dealing with this shit especially back then i really like julie from the start you know where it's you know it is pretty obvious she has her own will and she's against this bullshit but i feel like the big thing about this movie is deep down as much as she's independent and and trying to break free from this oppression she's also kind of a narcissistic and toxic person and she's controlling people and manipulating people and i saw the end where she finally gets back to preston who's on his deathbed i saw that more as manipulation for her i saw that as like a a victory for her i saw that as well i just i guess i was so angry at it like i just saw it was they had such a cool character Mm-hmm. Like I don't even see I I can agree with like the narcissistic and uh, just manipulative, but I also see this as a, a female in a time period where they weren't respected, breaking ground and yeah. kind of having to do having to be manipulative, having to do that stuff in order to like move forward, uh, yeah. like in order to be anything but a, like a damsel in distress, basically. Mm-hmm. No, you're so. right. She she bends like that's the problem with it, right? Uh, in the end, it kind of does a little bit of the, the same thing as um, that. How oh, that fucking uh, that fucking lawyer movie we watched with the two female lawyers or whatever. Oh, um, Law in Her Hands. Law in Her Hands. It kind of does a little bit of the same thing as that. Uh, where we're at the uh, end. <laughs> we're at the end. You know, she she kind of bends backwards and like kind of backs off from from her and you know her initial like independence and stuff like that. Um, from the guy who like treated her like shit like mm-hmm. he treated her like shit i'm sorry i don't care she wasn't nearly that bad compared to like how bad he was to her like that's oh, yeah. what bugged me like they all see her as this person who was like oh jezebel or not jezebel <laughs> oh. um julie you're gonna take yeah. it too far you're gonna go too far i love how julie was the name and the aunt was bell yeah yeah <laughs> just, just made me laugh and they use a line you're just quite the modern you're just a, you're just a jezebel yeah, it's 
So how would she judge about not a prostitute? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, when she when she wore that red gown, basically that's a symbol of her being a loose woman. Like because the the reason all the other women are wearing white dresses during that Olympus ball. Pure. Yeah, they're pure and they're they're looking for suitors and stuff like that. She walks into that red dress that immediately casts aspersions that oh she's a whore who's sleeping around. And, and I wish, I wish, I wish they just went with that. I wish they actually mm-hmm. like she was a fucking woman who slept around. I wish, or even a woman. I don't even care because I know this is like the idea was um, 1850s, so uh, that would be unspoken of. And this is made mm-hmm. in 1930. Or 1930s, 1938. So again, it's a little bit less um, of a thing. But I would have been cool if this girl had just seduced men and like didn't fuck them all, just seduced them. Like that red dress should have been like that power moment, not this destroy her and be like, oh, you wore a red dress and people were staring at you. That's what she craves. Like mm-hmm. that's what she wants. Like it just, I don't know. It just that point, the movie just went downhill. I still found it interesting. I I thought all the acting was great. Like. They were all oh, yeah. fucking awesome. Well, I every, everyone's decent around Betty Davis, but Daddy, Betty Davis runs away with everything oh, in this movie. Like, she was so good. She's, like, she's the reason you watch like yeah, the whole yeah. movie. As much as was like drive me crazy, I was captivated by her. Like she was just so good, beginning to end. Like you could even though I hated what they did with her, uh, she played up all the, the all the parts, all like the development, the the rise, the fall the Mm -hmm. the kind of the belief that she won like all of it her facial expressions her her tone of voice her body language like just everything like she was just so like it was amazing to just watch her it's 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 funny i was watching it and like she actually looks like the first girl i fell in love with back in the day (laughs) (laughs) like dead ringer um with the like the pencil then eyebrows yeah yeah oh yeah I don't know. There's, there's there's some redheads out there who all kind of look the same like that for some reason. I don't know what it is. They shave um, their eyebrows and then like draw one. It's not just the eyebrows. It's, they're like I just read the eyebrows. It was because it's it's one of those things back then that I always think is really funny because it's like the pencil thin eyebrows. And I kind of wonder it, how they did it back then because mm. uh, nowadays it's like they people put glue or they shave them or whatever. Or they have like these little things that you can put over your eyebrows. They probably wax them. Maybe they had waxing back then. Oh, I know. And they had shaving back then, but I wonder if they actually like did that. I just, I'm just curious. I don't know if they had like some crazy makeup technique they did, or if it was straight up, just got rid of them. It was, it was probably, yeah, they probably had several techniques and they were probably all incredibly painful to do (laughs) (laughs) because, because, you know, a woman had to like hurt herself and degrade herself to look quote unquote good for the standards of society back then. Um, but yeah, that Olympus ball scene, like the big thing is like she goes there to like, you know, declare her independence and her individuality and everything from everybody else. And she's I guess it's supposed to be she's expecting Preston to like stand up for it, you know, like be by her side. But he like he quickly just like turns on her. He he can't take the social embarrassment, right? Like he 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 does he doesn't like the way it looks on him to have a to have a loose woman by his side. So that's that's the reason. And and I think the fact that he rejects her there is what it just pisses me off so bad. But it pisses me off so bad because like she said at the beginning, this is what bugs me. 
So at the beginning where he said, oh, you're um, a spoiled child. And she's like, oh, that's what you love about me. The fact that I am a child. Mm. Oh, that's what you loved about me. And that's like the whole fucking thing. Like she's supposed to be independent, strong, like just amazingly. Just don't give a fuck about traditions. Don't give a mm-hmm. fuck about anything. Like she's supposed to be like a trailblazer. Like she's supposed to be this person. Like you see it in the first like half an hour of the movie. I mean, the scene, the scene where she she's shown singing with all the like plantation slaves like that's it, as much as that it doesn't really work in 2022 as anything that's really cool. Um, it's supposed to show that she's she doesn't treat the house slaves as lesser than her. Like, it's yeah, supposed you to, notice that through the movie, too, because like yeah. she was friends with all of the. The slaves they're all in cahoots with her right because she's she's running schemes all the time and she's she's always like drawing the butler and the maid into it it's like go get this now and, and do this for me i declare i got the vapors run over here now and do this but even like the the fact that she was giving this um the one girl her dress like after the night she said, mm-hmm. yeah, you can have the stress afterwards. It just showed that she had a bond with them, even though obviously like it's still slaves, but she was respectful of them compared to other people that just kind of commanded them. Well, yeah. she was more like, uh, yeah, she did it with them and they like, it just seemed like they wanted to be friends with her. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it, it works in, in the context of the time that the film was made. It kind of works in the sense that like, there's a kinship there where she's kind of an outcast from the society as just as much as they are, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, just as much. <laughs> mm, yeah, just it, it's equal. Exactly. They're on they're on equal level, you know. Of course. Yeah, racism doesn't exist, and no, it's not. They, no, they yellow love, fever had never happened. They love they love working in <laughs> yellow fever never happened. Like that's that's the big thing that struck with me while watching this is that. There, you know, this is like one of the big serious outbreaks of yellow fever that happened in the United States happened around this time. And amazingly enough, it was like more like 7% of the white population contracted it and only about 0.2% or something of the black population contracted it. Um, so there's a big, there's a big difference there. And I feel like that's part of the reason why it's covered up so much. Um <laughs> is you know all oh, the all these white people dropping dead from yellow fever and the black population isn't having as much many problems how I, dare I, they not die yeah <laughs> but but yeah it's just you know in the in the this sort of post uh it's not really post covid but everyone wants to pretend it's post covid times now um COVID, just yeah <laughs> yeah just just seeing the the fucking parallels of you know people you know talking about uh, we've we've got so much progress we got to do down here. We got to build things, infrastructure, and all that. We can't have this yellow fever talk going around. And like, there's this doctor who's saying he's warning everybody. He's like, he's 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 fucking Doctor Falci back in the day. Basically, he's he's saying no, we're gonna people are gonna die. We're like, we're gonna have a lot of problems if we don't fucking clamp down on this. And everyone's just like, ah, oh, it's nothing, doctor. Don't worry about it. You know? Oh, God. Just- it, was, it was like, this is 1939 and we were in 1938. Mm-hmm. It, it was almost 100 years later. A little a little under 100 years later. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's just it's just nuts seeing this. And, uh... and it's like they didn't have a vaccine back then. So people were just like dropping like fucking flies from this. And... Ugh. 
Oh my god, did it, I did get a good laugh. I when I was kind of seeing this, all I could think of I was like, oh hey, maybe they're gonna have send like a freedom convoy. It's oh my god! Like, I mean, they, no, stop taking away my rights. I mean, their their solution was to cover it up. Anyone Freedoms. who con- yeah, and anyone who contracted it, you know, they were putting they're basically just putting people in camps and letting them die. Or shooting them. They're shooting them. Yeah, if if you got caught crossing, you know, like the 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 uh, quarantine clamp down. You're dead. So that's all there is to it. It was like uh, martial law. I'm sorry. I don't believe in quarantine because I want to go live my life as I normally ever do mm-hmm. on everyday basis. Because yeah. uh, my uh, pastimes are more important than people's lives. <laughs> exactly. I'm going. I'm going to move to Spain now and maybe go to Britain. And uh, <laughs> oh fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and did 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 you did you know I'm an honorary native? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days is gonna bite me back, bite me in the ass. <laughs> oh well. Uh, at least you said it. I didn't. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, what I was saying before about Preston, uh, it's just that moment that really pissed me off because he never loved her for her. That's it. Like, no, he, he just never loved her for her. She was to be the token, the token uh, rich wife. He tamed. He tamed the untamable. Like mm-hmm. essentially, he, that's, that's that's all it was. That's another was, thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to be this uh, this wild lady. This, she's uh, she's a she's a challenge. Morals. Yeah, because he's he's kind of like feuding over yeah. her with the with that uh, other guy, right? Virgin wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it it's like you know everyone else is so scandalized when she shows up at that ball. You know, the reality of the situation is if that happened, if that actually happened, eighteen fifty two. Half the women, if not more, were fucking on the side anyway. It's just they had to keep up appearances. She just wasn't. That was the only difference. Well, fuck. There is uh, how many women would get arrested because their swimsuits didn't cover enough. Mm-hmm. Like they get their swimsuits measured on the beach. Like, anyways, um, yeah. So that's that's yeah. That's just one of those things. The president didn't love her. Preston did not love Julie. Preston mm-hmm. loved the idea of being with her because she was pretty and she was like the socialite to be with. And it was like this tameable conquest where you take someone who's so wild and then um, just uh, dominate them and make them submit to them. Yeah. Like, and then when she said, I was like, I'm going to get him back. I was so hoping when they fucking like when she shook his hand. Should have been like, okay, on to the next. Like, mm-hmm. just anything. Anything. No, yeah. we went direction. Again, Betty Davis, though. And you're, you're Betty Davis. Don't tell me you don't have options. <laughs> don't tell me you don't have options. Like, and, and better options than him. She's, um, she's what made the movie, though. Had she not been on the movie, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. It's I, very... Uh, yeah, the, the story itself is kind of really... It doesn't jump off the page unless it's her doing the fucking lines. I don't, I don't know if it's like my short attention span, but I got lost a few times. Mm-hmm. What was going on? No, it drags. <laughs> it does drag. It, it does. Because okay. um, like it, it, there's a lot of this like melodrama stuff that like, like the over, duel. Yeah, the duel. Just like who cares? Like it, it, there's it has no real dramatic impact on the main story. Really, it's just. It's just a convenient way to get like the uh, Preston's sexual rival out of the way, basically, for dumb reasons. Like, I wish 
that guy was a weirdo too, mm-hmm. but I still would have preferred her with him because at least he was like cool with her being this crazy lady. Yeah. Yeah. Like at least he respected who she was versus Preston didn't give a fuck about her. Yeah. Um, I should, I should mention too. It's like, you know, we're, everybody in this film is pretty much awful. Like they're all, yeah. they're all rich, privileged racists, basically. Like, yeah, everyone like calls, calls Julie the terrible one. I'm like, well, like, the rest of you are terrible too. Like, yeah, it's at least she's trying to make it like, uh, advancements for females. The rest of you are just trying to suppress and <laughs> oppress. And, but yeah, Davis is the best thing to see in this. And like, it's no surprise that like this helped like reinvigorate her career and like, sort of launch her to her so most successful period because like she's so like sexy brash manipulative bitchy and just like clearly the best thing in the believable mm -hmm. and it was never done in such a way with attitude like this great attitude because uh you kind of felt pity for her and you felt love for her and you wanted her to succeed and you wanted her to win because it was never um you know it's like too harsh or too much uh, I found her was like that perfect level of like manipulative and like beautiful and seductive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a nice combination. Like I just, I yeah, thought she, she, she did a very good job. She's kind of, you know, she kind of borders on like a femme fatale from like a noir movie in a way, but yeah. she's never, she's not as hard edged as any of those sort of characters. And she would play characters in other movies that are like way harder edged than this. Like she's, she's playing a much more romantic, like, a person who, you know, is manipulative, but is like genuinely in love with Preston for whatever fucking reason. Um, you, yeah, that's just that Hollywood. You got to buy that bullshit, I guess, kind of thing Ugh. to get along with Ugh. it. But I was, <laughs> you know, it's funny. The first movie I thought of, I was like, this better not be like law on her hands again. <laughs> like, I don't I need I need something positive from back then. I'm going to find a movie. I'm going to find a movie that's back from the day that's going to have this like empowering female moment that's actually empowering instead of this bullshit that like I feel is there and then it just dies we should we should just I I bet you if we dig into like Betty Davis's stuff we'll find something yeah and I'm not saying it's gonna be 100% obviously no like again this is this is almost 100 years now (laughs) yeah (laughs) um there's what 80 years around 80 years different so yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not expecting like ridiculous, but I, again, I'm expecting a movie with this intro where she wears the red dress and just go out with confidence. Like I would have rather her got like arrested and deal with that and made a movie that way mm-hmm. than her her love of her life just be like, oh, I'm gonna humiliate you and then I'm gonna break up with you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna like force you to dance against your will. I'm going to not let you leave. Um, I'm not going to stand up for you, even though I, I told you that this is why I love you. Like, go fuck yourself. I don't like yeah. Preston. No. And like, she just, she basically wastes her life. Cause she went there to like, look after him at, on his deathbed and she's going to get yellow fever. Basically. That's the illusion. It's like, she's going to die. Oh, she's going to die. Yeah. So yeah. She like started making out with him, his face. Not making it with him, but like mm-hmm. her face was in his face. And uh, hey, just just so you know, people, little spittles. <laughs> we wear masks. <laughs> no, people get diseases because they're morally bad. It's not. It's not from anything else. Oh my god! I was reading something where someone said that uh, there was a few people that said this. 
but they were saying that the reason COVID happened was because they sinned and they went against God. Can you imagine telling like your child that or someone you know, like because of your sins, COVID's happening. Yeah, because yeah, you're that's a clean slate, perfect person. That's abusive. It's yeah. It, that that's that's a reason why you shouldn't homeschool people and uh, why. We need to better fund educational institutions and, uh, yeah. Education is so important. Mm, And defund churches. Oh, my God, please. I have, okay, I have nothing against people who follow religion. I have everything against people who use religion to hate others. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately religion is at fault. While I do believe that those people who have it and there's like good to it and everything, unfortunately it's been taken over, manipulated, destroyed, and just lost its actual cause that the most powerful government is literally fucking God and like religion. Like it's so stupid. Well, we've just, we watched that one documentary where it was all for God and all for what God would do. And the, the commies are terrible and we're going to murder them and torture them. Like, Mm -hmm. and now we're going to a whole other thing, but (laughs) you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like people do fucked up shit because of God. Like it's just, and disrespect people and whatever and hate people and excuses to be excuses to be awful to other people in the name of some sort of made up morality. Well, that's the thing with Julie, the, the people that didn't like her is because she wasn't like a good mm-hmm. Christian girl who exactly, followed the yep. morals of like what you're supposed to. She couldn't be herself. She had to be what everybody else wanted her to be mm-hmm. because that's what religion said. Yeah. It's, I mean, the movie, even though it doesn't lean hard into it, it does try to at least criticize pre-Civil War self a little bit. You know, it could have done a way better job of it, but um, it does make allusions to its backwards thinking, uh, you know, especially that meeting where they're talking about, oh, we got to do the infrastructure and stuff like that. And and they're more concerned about, oh, this this big city lawyer coming back with his northern ideas and stuff, trying to tell us southerners how to live. And it's like, you know, there's there's some stuff in there, but it's mostly just sort of overshadowed by all the melodrama and stuff and it's like eh. yeah okay also i also hate the battle at the end when the wife and the the mist well i want to say mistress um are battling to see who goes and like dies on a fucking yellow fever island <laughs> yeah it's just yeah it's some of it doesn't work but it i still liked it um there's there's really good shots too like it's just really well directed like there's that pov shot behind the orchestra at, at the ball that's tracking behind it. I thought that looked, wow, this is in 1938. That's not a 1938 shot. That looks great. I thought the, the movie itself, even though I had a hard time with what was happening with jewelry, I was into it to the end. It was Mm -hmm. something that it was captivated by. I think uh, like, like we said, Betty Davis, her acting was just, over the top, out amazing, out of this world, like just so good. She made the movie. Like she just did yeah. such a good job. And the costumes were stunning. Like they just looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I know when Julie's wearing that white dress, she just looks so beautiful. Like with the hair and everything. Yeah. Oh, she looks absolutely gorgeous. And all the outfits, like she's just, I love it. And then um, 
Oh my God. I want to bring back top hats. I've been wanting to bring back top hats <laughs> since I was like a kid. I love top hats. Can we just mm-hmm. make top hats an everyday thing again? I don't care about how you like what else goes on. Cause I don't feel the need that we need to wear dress shirts and clothes. Cause that's a lot of care. And a lot of people who did that back then had slaves to make sure that their clothes were clean for them mm-hmm. and iron and shit. So I don't want any of that. Cause that's just too much. And also corsets and shit. Um, I just want top hats. I just want fucking top hats or fast leaners or whatever. Fuck these ball caps. Fuck dukes. Like I want fucking top hats, bowler hats. Like I want fast leaners with like big decor. I want it all. I feel like this is a thing I've known about you for quite some time since we, ever since we were playing Red Dead Redemption together, and you would you would always like, oh, I got a new top hat. I unlocked. I'm wearing that for the next five or six times we play yeah i had that really big hat that i love yeah you did yeah um i like hats i like i like big hats i like statement hats i don't care for just basic whatever to keep behind my hair no no i like fucking like when they were all walking around with their top hats i'm like i want to bring that back i want Mm -hmm. but yeah uh that's uh that's another thing that's that kind of kept me in the movie was that everything was just visually pleasing to watch like everything was Yeah. yeah as much as some of the side drama some of the things like caught me off guard and it was going on uh i was visually entertained i was visually captivated yeah um so budget for this was 1.25 million uh it, it went quite a bit over budget apparently for various reasons but um all the condoms it, they had to buy yeah all <laughs> the condoms uh because there was a lot of sex we'll get into that in a sec but um no, I got no official number for the uh, box office, but apparently it was a massive success. Like, like I said, this was something that you know sparked the resurgence of Betty da- resurgence of Betty Davis's career, and it you know kept her on Warner. Uh, they, they they couldn't let her go. They couldn't you know justify like booting her, and uh, yeah. It, it did very well. So it was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It won for Betty Davis. She was uh, nominated for Best Actress in one on this. And after this, oh, excuse me, she was nominated for Best Actress for the next four successive years. For Dark Victory in 39, The Letter in 40, Little Foxes in 41, and now Voyager in 42. And this was the first ever film to have two actresses win Academy Awards for their performances. So uh, Betty Davis, again, for Best Actress. Faye Bainter for Best Supporting Actress. So, Fuck you, manager, director, man guy. Yeah, Jack Warner can eat a dick. Here's where all the fucking comes in. (laughs) So uh, Betty Davis and uh, William Wyler... The director embarked on a, an affair. Uh, Betty Davis was between husbands at the time, and William Wyler and William Wyler was still married. Uh, crew members often saw him leaving her dressing room with his face covered with lipstick. Uh, with her husband Harmon Nelson working mostly in New York, their marriage was breaking up. Davis spent many nights at Wyler's home, cooking dinner, discussing the film, and making love. Uh, yeah, fucking. <laughs> Uh, following a quarrel with William Wyler, Betty Davis embarked on an affair with Henry Fonda that greatly increased tensions on the set. After a phone call from Fonda's pregnant wife, she called things off. Betty Davis cried for days after finishing and with Ooh, good reason. Shit. Yeah. Not only had she finished one of the most rewarding artistic experiences in her career, but she was also pregnant with William Wyler's child. <gasps> mm-hmm. What? 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, there, there was a lot of stuff going on there. And like years later, like going on, Betty Davis sort of like remarked in interviews and stuff that like it was the most important romance in her life. Apparently, apparently she was madly in love with him, um, but they didn't, you know, he had a, he had a wife and they didn't keep the relationship going for too long. Um, but I think they made a couple more pictures together too, if I'm not mistaken after this, but uh, um, to keep from falling further behind a schedule, uh, writer, John Houston was asked to direct the dual scene. And this was his first time ever directing. So he got his start on directing chops on this film. And William Wyler himself was kind of a perfectionist uh, because of excessive takes for each scene. Uh, the film allegedly ran 28 days behind schedule. That's why it went over budget. Uh, Betty Davis reprised the role of Julie in two 30-minute adaptations of the film on radio, uh, Academy Award Theater on March 30th, 1946, and Screen Directors Playhouse on August 12th, 1949. And uh, final bit of trivia here. After an advanced screening of the film, David L. Sosnick wrote to Warner complaining about the film's similarities to Gone with the Wind from 1939, particularly citing Julie's pinching her cheeks to give them color, which Scarlett O'Hara does in the book, and a dining room scene in which the male characters discuss the differences between the North and the South and the possibility of war. Warner countered that uh, the dining room scene was faithful to the scene in the original play, which had appeared years before Margaret Mitchell's novel that Gone with the Wind is based on. So, yeah, fuck you. Um, <laughs> this is this is probably, you know, the original, really the original kind of source material for a lot of the stuff that was in Gone with the Wind as well later on. Um, yeah, uh, as far as to find this, it's pretty much everywhere. You can, I rented it off... Uh, like you, you gave me a, a Vimeo uh, copy, and I was like, eh, "It looks okay," but I just, I just decided to bite the bullet and rent it off YouTube, and just so I could get a perfectly clear. Picture. I have a bitterness towards renting anything, only because the rentals. Like, if I go from back in the day, new rentals, I would have forty-eight hours. Mm -hmm. Older movies, I'd have a week, and I could watch it as many times as I wanted. Over now, right. it's like. You have it for 48 hours, and as soon as you open it, or sorry, no, you have it for a week, and as soon as you open it, you have 48 hours to finish it. Yep. yep. And it bugs me, because, like, it's a fucking recording, <laughs> so it's not as if I have to return it to the next person who watch it. Yeah. Like, why can't you just give me the week and let me watch it as many fucking times as I want during the week? Well, you can, you can buy it for a couple extra dollars. And watch it anytime you want, you know, until YouTube decides, oh, we're not carrying it on our service anymore. And now it's gone forever. That was or, like you could, or you could own a physical copy, which I recommend everyone do. That would be a good idea. Yeah. DVD, Blu-ray, it's, it's out there. You can't find it. You're not looking hard enough. Maybe, hmm. maybe, get, maybe get out of your house. Go find it. Well, actually, you probably find it on eBay or Best Buy or I don't know, whatever the fuck. Is the place? I don't know. Internet. I don't fucking know. Online shopping. It's a thing. Best Buy though. <laughs> yeah. I Best Buy know. like sells so few movies now. Oh, do you they? can buy some cool stuff on their online website, but the stores don't carry movies anymore. Oh, I was thinking Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. That's what I was thinking of. If 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 you uh, like Barnes and Noble's good for movies, and they have like their Criterion sales every year where you can get all kinds of like great old movies for like dirt cheap DVD and Blu-ray. So, yeah. You thought Best Buy. 
I, it, I'm a little, I've had some things to drink. And sometimes my best buy. sometimes my thoughts get a little muddled. Best Buy though, <laughs> I, I don't know. It just came. It just came. Best Buy came. You know, it came came first in my in my head. I'm eating pineapple just to spite you. That's gross. Gross. Mm. Oh god. I don't. I don't know why we're friends. I don't. I don't get it. So juicy and delicious. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, like I like I alluded to earlier in the in the beginning of the show. Uh, next episode is going to be "I Spit on Your Grave" and the remake of "I Spit on Your Grave," and we're going to have a special guest, Court Syops from Cinema Syops. We're recording that tomorrow. That's probably going to appear at the uh, beginning beginning of October. Uh, and then get ready for some Halloween fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you hear this, this should be this is probably going to be out um the end of this month, so into September. We're we're recording on a Wednesday, weird day. Um, we recording we both Tuesday. Well, I guess yeah, it's a Wednesday now. Oh yeah, it is a Tuesday, technically a Wednesday now, but yeah. Um, we we both had like scheduling issues this weekend, so kind of messed with things a little bit. We fucked shit up. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we we tend to do that. Uh, Lady Lee, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. At Mighty Tiny All Star on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you can find all of our stuff at tmbdos.podbean.com. Join the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. That's the best way to get in touch with us. Give recommendations. Ask us questions. Give us criticisms. Just tell us we're doing a good job. I do not take criticism. I just want compliments only. Oh well, I mean, you you can you can laud con- compliments upon Lady Lee. Uh, she yep. deserves them. So uh, <laughs> I'm not narcissistic at all. <laughs> no, you're, you're not. You're, you're not going to wear a red dress anytime. I was going to say the next thing you know, I'm going to wear a red dress. I'm supposed to be wearing white. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, until then, uh, thank you, Lady Lee. Thank you. Thank, yeah. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we are going to be back when we're back. Goodbye. Bye.
you've been listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes of this podcast, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcatcher that you can find. Thank you. Drive through. Thank you.